the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. I do pray for my dear friend Dave's family, for his daughter, his wife, his siblings, Lord, and I pray they use even this for your glory. I'm thankful that David's in heaven worshiping you, and we long for that for all of us. So Lord, draw us closer unto yourself. Be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So 1 Samuel, we're coming near the close uh, to it, but uh, we've been looking at the life of David the last several weeks, and as we've been talking about King David, when you think of King David, you think of David and Goliath. But also when you think of King David, you think of David and Bathsheba. And the reality is that David is a man after God's own heart, but David is far from a perfect man. But that blesses and encourages me to know that, that you and I can be men and women after God's own heart. Amen? And we can be. The key word to all of this, and the key word, I think, to all of our walks with the Lord, the word is repentance. That when we have blown it, when we have walked away from the Lord, when we have moments or times of rebellion, that there needs to be repentance, there needs to be restoration. The word repent just does, doesn't mean to just respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say we're sorry. The word repent literally means to turn away from that behavior and come humbly and broken before the Lord. So last week, we looked at when God's people rebel. And we saw the example of that in, in the life of David when he was rebelling against God. If you'll remember that he literally got so bummed out about the heaviness and the trials of life that he ran to the enemy to hang out with them instead. Remember the same David who slayed uh, the, the tens of thousands, they sang songs about him, he slayed Goliath, the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed king of Israel, is the same David that after avoid, you know, spears being thrown at him and living a life of, of fearlessness and faithfulness, something happened. It got to a point to where he thought it would be better and safer to just go hang out with the enemy in the place that Saul couldn't reach him. And this can happen in the life of a believer where in the midst of great trials, we can fall into the trap of thinking, it's just so tough being a Christian. And I hear people say that. It's so hard being a Christian. First of all, I want to reject that completely. And let me tell you why. Because it's not hard being a Christian. It's hard being an unbeliever. It's hard being somebody who lives a life with no understanding of eternity, with no real hope, with no real joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Now, we go through difficulties as believers, but you know what? It's a testing of our faith that produces patience. It's the trials of life that help us to grow into the men and women of God that he wants us to be. And a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that hasn't been, cannot be trusted. And here we see even King David, though, I want to encourage all of us that if King David can come to a place of despair and choose to run away from God thinking it'll get easier, we can all fall into that same trap if, we don't, if we're not careful. Can I get an amen to that? If we don't continually seek the Lord, if we're not continually in his word, if we're not continue on, continuing to be on our, on our knees before him. And we've all been through various trials. Some of you greater trials than me, some lesser maybe from the world's perspective. But whatever trials we've been through, every trial is an opportunity to run to God or run from him. And David, unfortunately, had made the choice here to run from God. If you remember last week that the Lord gave him a way of escape. You guys remember this, right? that he was ready to go out and fight against the children of Israel with the Philistines, with Goliath's people holding Goliath's sword, going after God's people. David, King David, spirit-filled David, the one who said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? You fast forward, not that many years, and he's ready to fight alongside the uncircumcised Philistines against the people of the true and living God, the very people he was the king over, anointed but not yet appointed, right? Right? What a tragic moment in the life of David. And then what does God do? As they're parading past, David's in the back. We talked about this. Can you imagine all the, all the Philistines are parading by and all of a sudden at the very back with the general comes David and his mighty men. And the sad part is when, when we choose to rebel against God, often we lead others. If we're leading people, they may choose to follow us in the wrong direction. And here are David's mighty men. And they're following David in the wrong direction. No doubt some of them trying to figure him out, but they're following him nonetheless. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that not only do we impact ourselves when we rebel, but we impact others. 
But God gave him some grace by some of the generals standing up and saying, oh no, we don't trust him. We know that he killed Goliath and they sang songs about him. See, it's amazing. The enemy remembered the songs, but David had forgotten it. That Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. So they say, we're not going to let you go fight with us. We don't trust you. We think we get into battle. You might turn against us. So they sent David away. Now here's David's choice. Go home, his real home, back to the children of Israel, or go back to that same place of rebellion against God. And what did he do? Who remembers? He went back to the same place of rebellion. God made a way of escape. It was an opportunity for him to repent and get right with the Lord. And instead of turning to God, he continued to run from him. If you have tonight's outline, grab it. So last week was when God's people rebel. And tonight, when God's people repent. So we're gonna, we saw rebellion from David last week. And we're going to see repentance from David this week. So when God's people repent, here's seven things we'll see in tonight's chapter that are a reflection of repentance. And these are things that should be evident in our own life when we come to a place where we realize that we're in a place of rebellion when we need to repent. Number one, we must first come to the end of ourselves. We must first come to the place where we recognize the choices we have made are not working, that our sin has consequences, and we're going to see that that's the first thing that must happen. We must recognize my way is not working. I need to surrender again to the Lord. Number two, we need to find our strength in the Lord, not in, uh, not in our, our own physical abilities, not in the circumstances that surround us, but we run back to the Lord because we recognize only he is the true source of strength. See, David wasn't delivered from Saul because he ran to the Philistines. He was delivered from Saul because he's indestructible until God's through with him. And God had promised he would be king of Israel one day. And he hadn't been king yet. And, and the David of, that fought Goliath would have been standing right in front of him with the spears, not worried about it. But David now has fallen into the flesh. And he's allowed his circumstances to challenge his faith. When we truly repent, we seek the Lord for direction. We're led by the spirit, not by the flesh. See, when we come to the end of ourselves and we look up, and praise God, we'll see it in tonight's text. God loves us enough to do whatever is necessary to bring us to the end of ourselves. We're going to see that with David tonight. When we, truly when we truly repent, we respond in obedience to God's promises. We trust his word again. By the way, you can't trust something you don't read. Amen? I was in a thing today on a, a couple days ago, and it was this thing, and all these people were ripping the Bible and mocking it and saying, you know, the, there's no proof anywhere in the Bible that the Bible is anything, you know, and it, it's all these, you know, and they're all saying, you know, believe in Santa Claus, the Holy Santa, you know, the spaghetti monster in the sky. And I'm just responding to a few of them, and, and you know, and I, Lord help me, I try not to be, you know, I want to be gracious, but I'm like, bro, I, I'm amazed how you're, you're the expert at something you've never read. Because the reality is it's proven historically, archaeologically, uh, uh, prophetically, amen? And the word of God is true. It's absolutely the truth. And that's why I'm not a fan of the whole Santa Claus and Easter Bunny thing, because people throw that up and say, well, you got these fairy tales, here's another fairy tale. I don't want to raise my kids lying to them. And then to, when they say, well, I, I, you know, Santa's not real, the Easter Bunny's not real. What about this Jesus I've never seen? Is he real? I don't ever want to, I never taught my kids about Santa Claus. And guess what? They grew up just fine. Amen? And again, it's okay if you get your picture with Santa at the, at the mall. My kids grew up calling him the great imposter, because that's what I taught him. He's the great imposter. And so I remember my daughter, we're walking through the mall, she goes, look, Daddy, it's the great imposter. And I'm like, amen. But the reality is that we need to find a place of responding in obedience to God's promises and trusting in his word and not taking our focus off of him ever. Fifthly, when you're truly repentant, you show compassion to others. It's amazing when you realize how much you've been forgiven, how much it gives you a heart to forgive others. Amen? When you recognize how much compassion has been shown to you, it gives you a heart to show compassion to others. He that's been forgiven much loves much. Amen? Number six, we give God the glory. This should always be the case. Amen? If any good comes from us, it's not because of us, it's in spite of us. It's because of the Lord. Amen? 
To him be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. I love that he, his 12 apostles are fishermen and tax collectors. They're not Pharisees. They're not the most educated people. They were just available. And guys, that's all God wants from us, just to be available. Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. And you know what? When he does choose to use us, we should never, ever, ever, ever take any of the credit because, again, God alone did it all, and to him be all the glory. Amen? And then finally, we seek to mend relationships with those we have harmed in our rebellion. When we rebel against God, we stumble people. When you rebel against God, you're going to stumble people. If anybody knows you're a Christian, if anybody knows your walk with the Lord, and then you choose to rebel against God, they will mock the God that you say you believe in. And you will cause them to stumble. There's another Christian. See, I knew they were just a hypocrite. I knew that they don't really believe what they say they believe. But you know what? When that does happen, if that has happened, we need to go find those people and we need to bring restoration in that relationship. Amen? And let them know that our rebellion was our own choice. And so we need to seek out those people where our rebellion has brought harm to them. So let's begin there in 1 Samuel 30. And again, looking at King David, the last chapter ended. They were all going out to war. He ran back to the land where he was hanging out with his guys. He had his men. And we're going to see in tonight's chapter, it wasn't just his men, but it was their whole families with him. And they'd been hanging out in the land of the Philistine for 16 months. He wasn't in rebellion for 16 minutes or 16 hours or 16 days, but 16 months. This would be, in the 70s, we'd call this a full, full force backslide. Amen? I mean, he's backslidden for 16 months. And then we come to chapter 30. So David has been in a place of rebellion and now we're going to see what God does to bring about repentance. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag. Now here's what happened. Ziklag was where they had made their home in the land of the Philistines. They were outside of the land of promise. They were away from the place that God had called them to be. They were not aligned with God's people. And they were becoming comfortable in a land of rebellion. They were becoming comfortable in the world, if you will. Now, what had happened is when they were sent back to Ziklag, it's about 75 miles. And we're going to see in the text, it took them three days to walk home. So they were all prepared to go out to battle. They were told, you're not going to be allowed to go. They could have gone back to Israel, to, the, to God's people, could have fought with them against the Philistines. Instead, they decided to sit it out completely, and they were just going to go back and hang out and do nothing. And sadly, this is the life of too many Christians, standing on the sideline, saved souls, wasted lives, doing nothing for the kingdom of God. So they go back, and they're traveling, and you can tell that it took them three days to get there. I have an idea they're weary. They're traveling 25 miles a day. And again, if you're walking through the desert, 25 miles a day is a lot. And they're headed home. They're going back to their place. Now, as they're headed home, if you have been away from your family and you've been away anticipating going to war and now you're coming home, you're longing to see your family. You're longing to see, and again, they've become at home in the world, unfortunately, huge mistake, but no doubt their family, their children, their wives, their children are all there, and they're longing to come home and see them. This is a place given to David by Achish, the king of Gath, and David's neutrality revealed as he returns home instead of coming to the aid of God's people. You know, the Bible says you're either for me or against me. You got faith, you got unbelief, there ain't no neutral ground, amen? I mean, you got to pick a side. You're, you're team D Jesus or team world, and there's nothing in between. And so he's hanging out with the world, and he's continuing to try to be neutral. So David anointed king of Israel is still, again, in the enemy camp outside of God's will. And notice it says there again that on the third day, so 75 miles of travel, they're coming home. They've walked a great distance. They're no doubt weary. And as they come, look what it says. They come to Ziklag. Notice the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So at some distance, they got close enough where they saw ruins where their home used to be. And they come walking up from a distance and I don't know if, they're still, if it's still smoldering you know, there's still smoke coming up from the fire that has been set. No doubt to some degree there was. 
And they see this, and as they're getting a little closer, maybe there's still flames, maybe there's still smoke in the sky, fire in the sky, and they're coming from this great distance. And now I have an idea that their, their pace picks up a little bit. They're moving toward home to find out, well, the place has been burnt to the ground. Obviously, we've been attacked. How are my wife? How are my children? And they're headed home to find out what has happened to them. Again, they're traveling in the wrong direction, going to the wrong place. And again, they've been traveling this distance. Now, the Amalekites in Scripture, we've talked about this many times that you've been coming, they're a type or a picture of the flesh. The Amalekites should already be dead by now. Because remember King Saul back in 1 Samuel earlier was told, chapter 15, was told to wipe out all the Amalekites off the face of the earth. And if you remember what happened, he didn't destroy them all like God had told him to do it. He actually brought back Agag, the king of the, of the Amalekites, and kind of paraded him through town to show him off, brought back the livestock. And to me, Agag is a picture of that chief sin we don't want to let go of. You know, he only wiped out the things of the Amalekites that were of no value, but he brought back the, the sheep, he brought back all the cattle, and he brought back the king to kind of show off his prowess. Look, I've got their king chained up, and he's marching them through town. And that's when Samuel shows up, and what does is, what is, uh, Saul say? He says, oh, I did everything God commanded me to do. And that's when he says, well, what's this lowing of sheep I hear? I've done everything God... And then he says, oh, it was the people that wanted to bring the sheep so we could sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. doesn't say Lord, my God, the Lord, your God. So Agag, we know Samuel comes out, he chops Agag into pieces, the picture of the only way we can put the king of the flesh to death is with the sword, which is the word of God. But the Amalekites continue to live on, and they live long enough that now they've wiped out the home of David. We also know it's an Amalekite that's going to deliver the news of the death of King Saul. Because guys, if you don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will kill you. Can I get an amen to that? And so the Amalekites have come into the camp and they're wreaking havoc. They've set the place on fire. And where home once was, it's burnt to the ground. It doesn't, isn't that what the flesh does? The flesh wants nothing more, even though it's its own desires, but when it's given into, it will destroy your household. Amen? It will burn a marriage to the ground. If you walk in the power of the flesh, destruction will follow. If you walk in the fullness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God's blessing and God's fruitfulness will follow. So the Amalekites, the type of the flesh, attack. And while David and his men were in the north trying to join the Philistine army, their own home was left unguarded. See, when we're chasing after the world, often it's our own home that gets neglected. When we're spending all our time pursuing the things that are perishing instead of being where God wants us to be, our home is what suffers. Our family is what suffers. Our children is what suffers. And that's what happens here. They should have never in a million years been thinking about fighting on the side of the Philistines. And while they're all gathered to them, their home is left uncovered. And what happens? The flesh, the enemy comes in and wreaks havoc on their house wreaks havoc on their homes. All the Amalekites, again, should have been dead. Like our flesh always attacks in our time of greatest weakness. Remember the Amalekites, the reason God judged them, they were picking off the children of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness. They found the people that were in the back, the old, and the, end, you know, the people that were you know, not of good health, they couldn't travel as well, and they come and pick them all off. And the Lord says, I've seen what you have done, and I brought judgment against you. And hundreds of years, he gave them hundreds of years to repent, and when they didn't, he told Saul to wipe them out. And Saul doesn't wipe it out. And guys, if you've got an area of flesh in your life, an area of sin that you've been hanging on to, you know it, God knows it, maybe nobody else knows it, but you got this area that you just hang on to. I want to encourage you, put it to death before it destroys you. Amen? And you can't do it in your own strength. You have to ask God for help. Lord, help me. Whatever that thing is, it will take your eyes off of him. It says there in verse 2, And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Not only was the city burned, but all their women and children had been taken captive. Instead, uh, again, it's so tragic when, and this is a, an exhortation for all of us, but especially for us husbands and fathers, God has called us to be the spiritual leader in our home. God has called us to set the example of how our house should be, how our home should be, what the priority should be, what the passion should be. And tragically, 
Because they had fled and were serving the flesh, their family was taken captive. When we align ourselves with the enemy, we all, with the enemy, we all but invite an attack on our families. Rebellion impacts your family. It will every single time. Now, they didn't kill them, probably intending to sell them into Egyptian slavery. And the lack of godly leadership in the home leaves, again, our family susceptible to the flesh. And a godly home needs a covering of a godly father. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. David and his men, tired and weary, discouraged, they were unable to fight with the Philistines. Their souls brightened again in anticipation in finding rest in their homes and the joy of their loved ones. And instead, as they drew near, they could see that something was wrong. As the smoke rose in the distance, I imagine again their pace quickening as they rushed to check on the safety of their families. Imagine coming home from a trip and you're turning into your neighborhood and all of a sudden you see fire billowing over a structure that looks like it could be close to your house. And then as you get close to your home, you see that it actually is your home on fire. It's surrounded by fire trucks. You're trying to put the fire out and you weren't home. And because you were not home at the time, there's no, nothing you could do to defend. You don't know what's happened to your family. This is where these guys are. They're coming home. They have no idea what's happened. They don't know. They're, they're in a place of despair. And again, the Lord will often bring us to a place where we come to the end of ourselves because we can't fix it. We have to cry out to him. Amen? We, and that, you know, sometimes desperation is the best place we can be. I pray that for, you know, one of my sons that's struggling right now. Lord, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Prison works for me. Jail works for me. Whatever it takes. We need to come to that place where, Lord, whatever it takes to get their attention, whatever it takes to bring them to the end of themselves. And you know what? I pray that for my own life, Lord, whatever it takes. When they arrived, their worst fears were realized. The city had been turned into a pile of rubble and their families were all gone. And with no survivors, it seemed like it was all lost. David had fled to the enemy's territory seeking protection and instead he found destruction. Let me say that again. He went to hang out with the enemy because he thought he would be safer there. Let me clue you in. With the enemy is never safer than being with the Lord. Amen? And the enemy will tell you, well, if you come hang out with the enemy, the, you know, the, the opposition will go away. If you, just, if you just kowtow to what the world wants, if you just acquiesce to what the world wants, the, all the, the opposition will fade. And the reality is the only place of real safety is in the center of God's will. We're seeing it today in churches. We're seeing even in ministries where they're kowtowing to ungodly behavior because they're afraid of the opposition. Guys, the only fear we should have is a fear of God, not the fear of men. Well, the, you know, the, 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 the LBGQTFJ, whatever it is, is going to come against us if we stand for godly marriage. Then let them come. Let's pray for them. Let's love them. Let's reach out to them. Let's preach the truth to them. But let us never cave to the, to the pressure from the world. Let's always stand faithful to the Lord. Amen? And here we see him, King David. They had caved. And they ran down to a place they thought would bring safety. And running from God never brings safety. It only brings destruction. Amen? Now, the good news is the Lord loves David and his men enough that he's going to allow this destruction as an opportunity for repentance. And often that's what it takes. See, David didn't go back when he was given a chance to go back. Uh, David had gone down and was hanging out with the Philistine for 16 months. No doubt, a lot of opportunities to return back to the Lord and to return back to God's people. And finally, after 16 months, God just gave him, Here, here's how it's going to happen, bro. I'm taking your family from you. I'm taking your city from you. I'm taking the Philistine opportunity to even serve the Philistines from you. I'm going to leave you no place to look but up. And praise God for that. Amen? That the Lord loves us enough to bring us to the end of ourselves. You know, the world promises happiness, but it produces destruction. When we turn away from the Lord into the pleasures of this life, it never, it, again, our flesh promises pleasure and brings destruction. When we choose to disobey God, the consequences are always heavy. You know the reason we sin? 
we have no fear of the consequence. I just want what I want right now, and I'll let the consequences be what they are. Oh, you know, and the enemy will whisper in your ear, well, God will forgive you. Guys, we want to obey. Amen? We want to walk in the center of God's will. We shouldn't be satisfied, again, with saved souls and wasted lives. Verse 4. Here they are. Family's gone. Their city's in rubble. What are we going to do? Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept till they had no more power to weep. David and his entire army are overwhelmed with grief. Where you will always end up when you align yourself with the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? If you align yourself with the world, if you align yourself with the enemy, if you align yourself contrary to the word of God, the end result is going to be in a place of weeping and mourning. Amen? Because again, especially those who are called his children, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And when you disobey God and you're walking uh, and chasing after the things of the world, don't be surprised when the consequences are heavy and you find yourself in a place of weeping. If David had obeyed God, he would have never found himself here. He's in a city he should have never been in, aligned with a bunch of people he never should have been aligned with, drawing his own people to a place they never should have been, and now he's suffering the consequences of it. And here's what's sad. Some people put me in this situation, and they want to blame God. It's one of those people I was interacting with on Facebook. Well, you know what? I believed in God, and then I prayed for something. God didn't give me what I wanted, so I don't believe he's real. So you're basically what you're saying is, unless God does what you want, so basically you want to be God, because you, you're so smart. You can tell God what God needs to do, and if God doesn't obey you, then God's not real. Here's the reality. God is real, and he's not ever going to obey you. You need to obey him. And here's the reality. King David is in this place because of his disobedience. And so often again, we'll be in a place because of disobedience and then we'll say, God, why did you let this happen? God said, if you'd obeyed me, it never would have happened. Now again, do we have consequences for obedience? What's the, I mean, not consequences, but, but do we face uh, the, the heavy uh, you know, people coming against us because we obey God? Does that happen? What's the answer? Do we deal with, you know... Uh, the world attacking us, uh, things that can take place, of course. But you know what? If I am undergoing difficulty because I'm obeying God, then God is with me in it. But if I'm walking in open disobedience to God and I'm rebelling against God, I want nothing to do with God, and then I deal with consequences, that's my fault, not God's fault. And by the way, nothing's ever God's fault. It's always our fault. Here's King David. Now guess what? Do you think his men are happy with him right about now? How do you think the guys that have been following him, they were in the cave with him when he could have killed Saul and he didn't do it. David, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you kill him? And David seems to be so respectful of Saul. Twice could have killed Saul. And they're following David, following David. They've been following and then they go down the land of the Philistines. Go down. What is he doing? And now they come back and their place is burnt to the ground and their families are gone. How are they going to feel about David? Look at verse 5. And David's two wives, there's another problem. It's a whole other sermon we don't have time for tonight. Uh, not two wives. One woman, one man for a lifetime. Can I get an amen to that? But David's two wives, more, more signs he's gotten in the flesh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So here's where David is. His family's taken captive. His city is burnt to the ground. He tried to align himself with the Philistines. They want no part of him. So this running from God thing, not working out very well. He's in a place outside of where God wants him to be, and everything that he has has been either taken from him or, or burnt to the ground. So point number one, when God's people repent, we must first come to the end of ourselves and realize our way is not working. Do you think David might sit back and go, hmm, I don't think this is, you know, I don't, this coming down here wasn't exactly the... I thought it would be better now. I, you know, I was trying to avoid spears being thrown at me, and now instead, my entire city's been burnt to the ground, and my, my entire family is gone because I was being more afraid of men than I was being faithful to God. Now watch what happens. We find our strength in the Lord. Look at verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of what? They wanted to stone him. I don't blame them. 
Dude, you brought me down here. I thought we were fighting for God's people. I thought we were fighting for Israel. You brought us down here. You stuck us with the Philistines. We've been hanging out down here. We've been away from where the God wants us. Then you got us to bring our whole family down here. And now we've been here for 16 months. Then we go to fight with the Philistines. They want no part of it. We come home and our city's burnt to the ground and our wives and children are all gone. David, line them up, get some rocks. Amen? Now, this is not religious persecution. This is consequences of sinful choices. Amen? Sometimes people say, oh yeah, I'm just standing for the Lord. I'm being persecuted. No, sometimes it's because you're a jerk. You're outside of God's will and you deserve to be persecuted. Stop it. Live a holy life. Now, David, again, this is the David, anointed, the shepherd, fighting, being faithful when nobody's watching, slaying 11 foot 750 Goliath. And now here he is finding himself where the Philistines want nothing to do with him. His own men from Israel want to stone him to death. His wife and his children are missing, and his city's been burnt to the ground. Uh, This is kind of a tough moment. Praise God for tough moments. Notice what it says here. People spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. So David's at this place. Imagine being David. I, when, I, when I read Bible stories, I love to put my, myself in the shoes of each person. In this historical event. And here's King David standing there. And no doubt, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognizing these choices I have made, have brought destruction not only on my own family, but the destruction on all the families I was responsible for. And every person that followed me is now facing great destruction. And David is completely and totally at the end of himself. He can't fix it. There's a threat that they're going to stone him to death. And truthfully, in a lot of ways, he would have deserved it. But notice what David does. This is why David is a man for God's own heart. The rest of verse 6. Look what it says. Then David strengthened himself in what? The Lord is God. The Lord is God. You know what David did in the midst of despair? He finally got to a place where all he was doing wasn't working. He got to a place of everything that he tried to do was a disaster. And he finally got to a place where he recognized, I can't fix this, Lord help. And this is where true repentance takes place. When we, we surrender it all, we recognize we can't fix it, we become humble, broken, and desperate, and then we just say, Lord, I cry out to you. And David finally comes to that place after 16 months of open rebellion against God where he cries out to the Lord. You know what? That needs to happen in our lives. Some, when we, we get in this place of rebellion, it's not going to change until we cry out to the Lord. Again, this is my prayer when I have people that I love that are away from the Lord. It's, Lord, do whatever it takes to get them to cry out to you. Because, guys, that's where, that's where the hope is. Amen? The hope is getting them to a place where they're going to just, I can't fix it. I can't do it. I'm hopeless. Lord, I, I, need, I need, Lord, help. That's a great prayer to pray. Amen? David was distressed. His people wanted to stone him. In the midst of the terrible trial, where does David turn? Saul had driven him from his country. The Philistines had driven him from their camp. The Amalekites had plundered their land and their families. His own men wanted to kill him. Man, he was in a bad spot. But you know what? A bad spot. There's only one place you can look, and it's from the Lord. It took a lot to bring him to this place. He had to lose everything. He had to be in a place where there was nowhere to turn. See, we pray for people, Lord, do whatever it takes. And then, and then something gnarly happens, and we go, why didn't the Lord answer my prayer? Sometimes God is answering your prayer. They may have to be in the hospital. They may have to be arrested. They may have to, have to lose their job, lose their house, lose everything. It may, something radical may have to happen. And guys, we need to trust that God knows what he's doing. Amen? We need to trust in the sovereignty of God. You know why God's doing this? Because he loves David. And he wants to draw him back into himself. And I'm going to take everything from you, David, so you have only one place to look. You can no longer trust in your army. You can no longer trust in your own intellect. While it took dire consequences to get there, David's in the best place he could possibly be, crying out to the Lord. David, in total rebellion, was fighting against God and following his flesh. 
but the Lord still loved him. He still had a plan for him, and he had to bring David to the end of himself so he would look up. And I pray this more and more and more all the time. Lord, bring them to the end of themselves that they might look up. And if I'm ever in rebellion, Lord, bring me to the end of myself that I might look up. Can I get an amen to that? And that's, the, that's what's taking place here. The Lord is our only source of hope, our only source of salvation, our only source of strength. In our weakness, uh, we are made strong in him. We're strengthened by his love. We're strengthened by his promise. We're strengthened by his past deliverances. So when God's people repent, we must first come to a place, come to the end of ourselves. And then secondly, we need to find our strength in the Lord. Number three, seek the Lord for direction. So now you're in this place of helplessness and hopelessness. You have no answers. You have no hope. You cry out to the Lord. It's, it, it's not enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry. It needs to be, Lord, forgive me. And then Lord, show me, direct me. Repentance is more than saying you're sorry. It's an action that follows. It takes place afterward. And David is ready to repent. Look what happens in verse 7 and 8. It says there, And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Now what's amazing to me is... We now realize that for 16 months he had a priest with him, and I don't think he sought him once. Where did Ahimelech come from? What, Ahimelech's son, where has he been this whole time? 16 months hanging out with the Philistines. But guys, that happens a lot in the life of a believer. You know, we'll, we'll kind of keep God in an arm's distance. We have access to the Lord. We have an opportunity to be in fellowship. We have an opportunity to walk in the presence of the Lord. And we just forget that he's even there. And we operate completely and totally on our own intellect, our own strength, using our own wisdom instead of crying out to the Lord. But look at the change in the heart of David. His family has been taken. His wives have been taken. His children have been taken. And so too the families of all the men with him. And he cries out to the Lord saying, should I go after them? If you're walking in the flesh, you don't even ask God. Somebody kidnaps my kids. I'm praying while I'm running toward the people that took my family. Amen. Lord, give me strength to catch up to these guys. Lord, let me smoke them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get my family back. I mean, that's how we... But David... There's something happens here where before he even moves, Lord, what do you want me to do? The priest brings the ephod. If you remember the Urim and the Thummim, they would draw out these stones to get direction from the Lord. By the way, we don't do that anymore because we have the completed word of God. Amen? We don't consult the magic eight ball. Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, we don't do that, right? He's drawing out the Urim and the Thummim because he's looking for direction from the Lord. And at that time, that's how the Lord would direct them. Bring the priest here. Seek the Lord for direction. Lord, should we pursue these guys? Should we chase them down? Again, left to his flesh, any man left to his flesh is going to chase after somebody who's, who's accosted and taken away their family. Look what it says at the end of verse 8. Shall I pursue them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So the Lord says, he hasn't cried out to the Lord in 16 months at the minimum. Because if he had, he wouldn't have been hanging out where he was hanging out. Amen? But isn't it amazing that after 16 months of rebellion, when David cries out to the Lord, the Lord responds. What a gracious God we serve. Amen? When we come with repentance and we come with a heart of surrender to the Lord, no matter how far away we've gotten from God. If we're a thousand steps away, it's one step back. And as soon as... We repent, he forgives you. He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. There's restored communion with the Lord. And now you can cry out to him and he hears your prayers and he responds. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? And then he says to him, pursue him. You shall overtake them and without fail recover all. So you know what that means? He's going to pursue him. He's going to overtake them. And without fail, he's going to get his whole family back. Everything's going to be restored. See, because God is always faithful to his promises. Amen? We're not always faithful to ours. He's always faithful to his. Amen? So, point number two there. Number three, excuse me. 
God's people repent, we must come to the end of ourselves. So we look up, we find our strength in the Lord, and then we seek the Lord for direction, being led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Point number four, we respond in obedience to God's promises. So God gave him direction, right? God told him, pursue him, overtake him. It will all be recovered. So what does David do? Verse nine. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. Now, wait a minute. The 600 men, what did they want to do to him a couple verses ago? Kill him. Have you ever, you know what's amazing? Is when we return to the Lord, when we cry out to God, God will often restore relationships that have been destroyed. Amen? You know what happened? These men who could not figure out what in the world was going on with David, they saw David come back to a place of crying out to God. And when they saw that, they went from wanting to stone him to wanting to follow him. Isn't that amazing? David cries out to the Lord. It restores not only his relationship to the Lord, but it restores the faith of the men who've been following him, that David is being obedient to the Lord and that God's hand is going to be with them as they go out to, again, bring their families home. It says David went. He didn't negotiate. He didn't argue. He went. Too often, the word of God would be so clear and the people want to negotiate with God and they want to argue with God. Well, yeah, but my circumstances. Guys, we don't surrender our lives to the Lord and try to negotiate with him. Can I get an amen to that? When we surrender, it's, here I am, Lord, send me. Except not to this place. Lord, send me, but not to the children's ministry. Kids are tough. <laughs> Lord, send me, but I don't want to leave a place. I, you know, I have to be at least 80 degrees outside because I can't do cold. You know, Lord, send me, but as long as I have enough money in the bank. The reality is that we don't negotiate with God. We obey God. He's in charge. He's in control. And guys, if we trust him, he's the Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. And if he calls us, he'll provide for us. He'll care for us. He'll protect us. And again, you can't threaten me with heaven. So even if he allows something to come upon us, we'll just go to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? So David's told, David went. All right, David, I think David woke up. I think the Holy Spirit has got a hold of David again. He doesn't negotiate with God. He obeys God and the 600 men, the same men who wanted to stone him. Again, David's been strengthened by the Lord. He's inquired of the Lord. Now walking in obedience to the Lord has brought the men back to his side. He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. And now the men are like, this is the David we used to follow. This is the man we knew before. This is the man we want to follow. Those who follow God faithfully will find others who are willing to follow them. Amen? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord church to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account and one whose heart is loyal to him. See, God's not looking for a better method or a better message. He's just looking for men and women who are being available and say, Lord, I just want to be used by you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And that's a man or a woman that God can use, a man or woman that God will use. So David went. And I believe this. I think he would have gone alone if the 600 men hadn't followed. David's shown that in the past. He went out and fought Goliath when no one else would fight. And I think David would have gone if the 600 guys had stayed behind. He would have gone after him anyway. Because here's the good news. God said, I'm going to bring you deliverance. I'm going to rescue your... He didn't say you're going to have 600 guys helping you. He just said, you obey me. And here's the thing. We, don't, we shouldn't worry about... We should pray for that others will obey. But if others don't obey, it shouldn't keep us from obeying. Amen? Well, they're not doing it. Well, they don't, they're not so sold out for the Lord. Well, they water down the message over there. Why don't we just do the same? No, you obey God if no one else obeys. Amen? Be the salt and light when nobody else will. Notice what it says here at the end of verse 9. So David went and the 600 men went with them and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. Brook Besor, approximately 13 miles south of Ziglag, emptied into the Meridian, uh, Mediterranean Sea, and it was often filled with rampaging waters. Here's what happened. So they're moving in the direction to go chase down the Amalekites, and the Amalekites have an army. It's going to be a battle that's going to take place. And keep in mind, they've just traveled 75 miles, 
And now they've traveled 13 more miles and they get to the brook and it's going to be difficult to pass. It's going to be difficult to get to the other side of the brook. There's raging waters going through it and they get to that place and we're going to see some people drop out. Look at verse 10. It says, but David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook. So a third of his army stayed behind. This kind of reminds me of what happened with Gideon. Your God has a way of making sure we know that he is the one who did it. Remember, Gideon originally had thousands, and then God brought him down to hundreds. And why did he, he brought him from 12,000 to, you know, all the way down to 300. Why? Because he wanted him to know that God brought the victory, not him. You know, if you're outnumbered three to one and you win the battle, you might just think you're really, you know, we're just studly army. If you overcome four, you know, 400 to one, then you know God showed up. Amen. So here, though, here's what I want you to notice. Sometimes when you obey God, there are going to be those who grow weary and they don't continue to remain faithful to the calling God has placed on their life. And it's not our job. That's between them and the Lord. You remain faithful if no one else is faithful. Amen. Remember when we went to Santa Cruz? And because I pastored, I was assistant at a church that on Sundays had thousands of people, and, you know, would teach messages to thousands of people, people would think, well, when you go to Santa Cruz, this is going to be thousands of people. I'm like, I grew up there. God's going to have to do something supernatural for there to be dozens of people. Can I get an amen? So we, we go to Santa Cruz. The first Sunday, it's packed out. What's well, all the well-wishers? You know, let's see who's here next week. I think the first Sunday was 200. The second Sunday was nine. There were more people on the worship team than there were listening to music. So about nine, nine, ten months in, all the guys who had felt led to come with me to help plant the church said, you know, we just don't think it's going to happen here. We just, we, maybe we should go back to San Jose and just help out over there. And here was my response. You guys go back. Go ahead. I know what God called me to do. I'm staying. I'm not leaving. God bless you guys. You have my blessing, my encouragement. If you don't feel called to be here, you probably shouldn't be here. That's okay. I'm staying. You know why? Because if God calls us, only God can tell us to leave. Amen? If no one else comes, it's okay. You keep being faithful. If no one else steps up to volunteer, you keep being faithful. If, if, you know, if it doesn't grow the way you would hope it would, it's not up to you anyway. It's up to the Lord. Let's just be faithful. Amen? And David and 400 guys, 200 guys dropped out. They're too weary. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep going because we're going to obey God whether anybody else obeys or not. So 200 guys stay behind. His army's getting smaller. Some were weary. You know why you grow weary? Because you're doing it in your own strength. Amen? If God calls you, God will sustain you. And people say, yeah, I'm just burnt out on ministry. Then you're doing it in your own strength. Because if you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't burn out. Amen? Holy Spirit is unceasing in his power, in his strength, in the energy he gives us. I'm not saying you don't get tired sometimes. But the difference is, when I get tired, I never think, well, maybe I should just quit. When you're called by God, if God calls you, God will sustain you. And this is why I don't call anybody to do anything. Because if I call you, I have to sustain you. And I've already got enough on my plate. I don't need to call you to remind you to show up to church. Amen? So when someone's called and they're gifted by God, you let them be faithful to what God's called them to do. Amen? And guys, again, when people are weary, I'm just weary and, you know, I need a, I need a two-year sabbatical because I've taught three times. You know, that, that mentality. And there's this mentality that takes place. And you know what? If you're truly called by God, where else am I going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? This is a get to, not a have to. Amen? And David's finally got that place. He's back where he needs to be. And if people, other people don't want to go, then obviously they're doing it in their own strength. We're doing it in the power of the Lord. Let's keep going. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep serving. God is faithful. Amen? And God has promised. Let's trust in God's promises. Point number five. We respond obedience to God's promises. And then point number five, we show compassion to others. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they beat him until he gave up what the information. Is that what it says? No, what did they do? They gave him bread and he ate. And they let him drink water. Verse 12. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. 
for you to eat no bread nor drink any water for three days and three nights. You know what will happen is we, when we are following the Lord with reckless abandon, we will love people the way that he does, even those who are his enemies at that moment. Can I get an amen to that? Here's the reality. If you're a Calvinist, you'll disagree with me, and I love you, and you're wrong. But the reality is that God, loved, God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. See, he doesn't love some, he loves all. Now, we're not all his children. People say, you know, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We all can be God's children. He wants to adopt us all into his family. But he loves the most wicked, vile sinner on this planet as much as he loves us. Can I get an amen to that? Now, that being said, we're his family. He's adopted us, and that person's in rebellion against him. And consequences will come. But I, I, I just think this is so important for us to understand as believers. We should have the same compassion on others that Christ has shown us. And so here's an Egyptian. Now, first of all, he's one of the enemy, more than likely. We're going to find out in a minute that he was actually there when, they, when his family was attacked and he took part in it. And you know what? You know, if, if you, know, you watch the movie, if you're Liam Neeson, you just you, you tear that guy up right there, right? If it's taken, you cut the guy's head off. You do, you do something dramatic. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And our heart should be to reach them with the truth of the gospel and to show them the love of Christ. Can I get an amen to that? So he shows them kindness. Again, he's showing compassion. Again, he didn't ignore the weak and feeble servant. He didn't try to beat information out of him, but he fed him. He patiently waited for him to be strengthened. He treated him with kindness and compassion. Then look what it says. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. Now, isn't it interesting? The man he's been fighting with the worldly man he's been serving left him to die. And then David, who this man had taken a part in, in attacking his own family and burning his own city to the ground, shows him compassion. And that's exactly the difference that should be taking place between born-again believers and a lost and dying world. Amen? The world, when it has no more use for you, will let you die. Believers should never be that way. We should be kind, we should be loving, we should be compassionate, we should show people the grace of God. Now notice what he says here. So he left me here to die. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites and the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. So they had gone into the place of the children of Israel. They'd gone to the land of promise and made attacks there. The place of Caleb was where Nabal's family was from. That means Abigail's family was from. And he said, we went into God's land of promise and we went after God's people. And then we went to Ziklag and we burned the place to the ground. This is the very enemy that most men would want to find and bring about swift justice. How does David respond? Verse 15. And David said to him, can you take me down to the troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. Do you think this is a divine appointment that God brought this man to, and David in, together? Can I get an amen? Here was a divine appointment. It was an opportunity to minister to this man. If he had, what if he had walked up and found out he was one of the men and drove a sword through him? This is going to be the very man that God's going to use to direct him to find his family. Amen? It's him showing kindness. It's him being compassionate that's going to give him an opportunity to, to be obedient to the Lord and to find his own family and being restoration. You know what? When we show compassion, God pours out grace upon us. Amen? That's what's happening here with King David. Notice he says, swear by God. The word there for God is not the Amalekite God or the Egyptian God. It's the true and living God. And he asks him to make allegiance based on what the Lord has said. It's point number five there. In when God's people repent, we show compassion to others. Now, now watch. We give God the glory. Look at verse 16. When they brought him down, they were spread out 
over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. Now, this is what the world does. The world rapes and pillages and then parties. They take from others. They think only of themselves. And now these guys who've gone out and wiped out people and burnt things to the ground, what have they done? They're partying. They're entering into debauchery. They have no thought of God, no focus on the Lord. They're living again, celebrating, right? Party, party tonight for tomorrow we die kind of mentality. So typical of the world. They think judgment will never come. They're out there partying, drinking, debauchery taking place because they think judgment will never come. Look what happens, verse 17. Oh, it says there, because of all the great spoiling from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. So they, and then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David attacked the Amalekites, the flesh, and empowered by God in obedience to his word, he had victory. This is how we walk in victory. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We walk in faithful obedience to the word of God, and God will bring victory. Amen? We're obedient. God is glorified, and we get blessed. As we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And 400 people escaped because uh, the flesh doesn't die easy. Amen? It's a daily battle we have to fight, verse 18 to 20. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away, and David rescued his two wives. This is a fulfillment of verse 8. The Lord said, go, pursue, you will overtake them, and everything will be restored to you. He goes, he pursues, he overtakes them, and everything was restored to him. Guys, we can trust the promises of God. We can trust what the word of God tells us. Amen? We need to obey the word of God because we know that God is faithful. He shall surely overtake them and recover all. All their families were restored. All their possessions were recovered. And while David was a tool that God used, God brought the victory and the restoration. And God promises victory if we will but obey. And again, some here have broken relationships. I want you to know God can restore them. Amen? God can restore them. He's a faithful God. You obey his word, leave the restoration up to him. That says in verse 19, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil of anything which had been taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that had been driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Verse 21, now David came to 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David whom they also had made to stay at Brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered, saying, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, and they may lead them away and depart. Now what's interesting is, these men are starting to take the credit for what God did. Can I get an amen? And because they think that they did something, that they feel like they deserve more of a reward than the ones who stayed behind. And I love this picture because I believe in the word of God. It's so clear that if we, if we are the people who stay behind and pray for missionaries faithfully, I believe our reward is just as great as the people in the mission field. I believe that those who stay behind and remain faithful to the Lord can be used by God as mightily as those who step out in faith. Now, these guys were weary, and they stayed behind. And by staying behind, they were able to keep some of the stuff so the guys could travel in a more light way. And yeah, they were weary and they were overwhelmed and maybe they were traveling in their own strength, but God was still going to bless them in spite of it. David's men, those who were in distress and discontentment and debt. Remember, these guys were not the A team when he got them. You remember that? They were the, the, the moaners, the whiners, complainers, had nowhere to go. Their lives were a disaster. And they're reverting back to that. Now that we've won a battle, we want to keep all the stuff. Tell these guys to get their wives and kids and get out of here. Now, this is a time for David to lead again. Amen? It's a time for David to take that role. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so for what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into the hand of the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as for a part, it's who goes down to the battle. So shall the part be with who stayed with the supplies. They shall share alike. 
David steps up and becomes a spiritual leader that God had called him to be. And he told the guys who are discontented, we're not going to disobey God because we didn't win the battle. God did. And because God won the battle, we're going to obey God. And you know what? We're going to bless those who stayed behind as much as those who went out into battle because that's what God wants us to do. And I love when, you know, here's David. He's, it's almost like a, a switch gets flipped on with this guy. Amen? You know, you read a chapter, and man, what a stud for God, man, this guy's you. And then, what, man, what a train wreck. What a stud, what a train wreck. What what's you know, what day is it? And it just seems to swing from one extreme to the other. But isn't it good to know that when we take one step back, all of a sudden we can be used mildly by God again? Even though we've blown it? And I love now that David's back to being the David that fought Goliath. And he saved 600 men that wanted to stone him that he was scared to death of. Now he stands before them with boldness. Why? Because he's standing before them speaking the word of God and he's unashamed of it and he shows no fear of man. Guys, when we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we don't fear men, we only fear God. Amen? Here's King David. God's done a work in him. Had to bring him to the end of himself to get him back to this place where he's standing up and speaking with great boldness fearless before even an angry mob that wants him dead. And he's letting them know the reward for those who stayed back is going to be the same for those who went out. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute, verse 25, and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So those who stayed behind, you know what? In a war, the people that stay behind and take care of the supplies so so the army can go fight, They're just as needed for the battle as the people who go out and fight it. Can I get an amen to that? And the people that stay here and pray, and the people that, well, I don't have that person's gift, and I'm not called to go to Africa and and minister to a lost people group, or you know, I'm not called to, to, to some of the things that maybe you're not called to, but you can pray for them, and you can share in the blessing of what God does through them, because your prayer is significant, amen? And I love this picture. Let's finish up. When God's people repent, we seek to mend relationships with those that we have harmed in our rebellion. Watch what happens. Verse 26. Now David came to Ziklag. He sent some of the spoil to the elders of where? Uh, he's been gone for 16 months. He's actually sending spoils back to his own people again. David's alliance is moving back to where it should have been all along. Amen? He's now taking the spoils, and instead of hanging out in Ziklag and rebuilding the city, he's sending things forward to the people that he was called and anointed by God to protect and to lead and to care for. David knew that his time among the Philistines had strained his relationship with God's people, and now he knows he must do whatever it takes to get things right again with them. And so he sends them, sends ahead to them, a blessing, an offering, in a sense, if you will, to restore the relationship that had been broken by his own rebellion. It says there to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth uh, of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aror, those who were in Shifmoth, those in Estamoa, those in Rakhal, those who are in the cities of the Jeromalites, uh, those are in the cities of the Kenites, those who are in Hormah, those who are in Cheshiron, those who are in Athok, those who are in Hebron, and all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. He sent back and blessed every place that he had once abandoned and those where he had gone through with his men and may have not acted in a way that was honoring to the Lord. And he takes and sends an offering, if you will, sends the spoils back to them, doesn't keep them for himself, but uses it to bless others. And guys, when we repent, we seek to mend relationships that were harmed by a rebellion. Amen? When we're in rebellion, do we harm people? What's the answer? We lead them in the wrong direction. We destroy, we destroy our testimony before God. We may have people turn away from the Lord because of what we've done. And true repentance goes beyond just saying, I'm sorry to God and repenting. That's the place where we start and that's important. But true repentance is going to go beyond just worshiping the Lord, but also loving people and doing whatever it takes 
to bring restoration to those relationships. So, I love this picture tonight. Here's what David did tonight. This man that was walking in open rebellion against God. Here's what he did as he repented. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He believed in God's promises. He did what God told him to do. He showed unexpected care and kindness to others. He saw it as the Lord's victory, not his own. He shared the reward with others, and David did whatever he could to mend relationships that his own rebellion had brought harm to. That's real repentance. Repentance isn't saying I'm sorry and continuing to live the way I've been living. Real repentance is doing what's necessary to restore the very things that my rebellion has brought harm to. Can I get an amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we thank you. As we see in David's life tonight, that he went from a man of rebellion to a man of repentance. And that is so true for all of us, that we can walk in rebellion. We can take a million steps away from you, but it's only one step back. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight who's life, anybody watching on live stream or watching on video later, Lord, if there's anyone whose life is away from you, if they've entered into a life of rebellion, Lord, I pray for restoration even now, even tonight. Lord, they would come humble and broken before you, saying, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, help me to return to what you've called me to be, to the man or the woman you've called me to be. So, Lord, we thank you that we can repent. We thank you that because of the shed blood of our Savior on the cross of Calvary, we can be forgiven. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And, Lord, I do want to pray for any broken relationships that are represented here, that need to be made right. Maybe it's brought to your mind right now. Someone you need to pick up the phone and call. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts to, of restoration, that we'd set our pride aside, would be the men and women of compassion and love and grace and mercy that you've showed to us. May we show it to others. We ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray, and all God's people said, let's stand up and worship.